What's up, everybody? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. In today's episode, we've got Grant Skeldon. Grant heads up the Next Gen Summit, and today he speaks with Matt Dabbs about his experiences working with churches and his observations on how generational gaps can be bridged. He discusses the role of mentorship and discipleship and helping younger generations grow up in faith and shares in-depth insights into the various challenges that the millennials and Gen Z generations face and how the older generations can help guide them. Skeldon emphasizes the mutual benefits of connecting generations in ministry and the positive impact it has on church health overall. He provides practical advice, drawing insights from various sources, including movies, sports, and even uh, canine behavior. <laughs> Let's jump into this conversation between Matt Dabbs and Grant Skeldon. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. This is Matt Dabbs. Uh, I had the pleasure to be talking with Grant Skeldon today on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. And Grant and I were just catching up about the work that he's doing around Nashville and Franklin, just helping churches to help out the millennial generation and Gen Z and uh, the ministry that he's doing through Think and also through the Next Gen Summit that's coming up in November there in the Nashville area. And he was just talking about what they're doing with that and the lineup they have and the impact it has. And just, I really amazed. We were just praying thanks to God for using that right before we, we started this. And so I'm just curious to hear what Grant's going to share with us about helping that next generation be raised up and kind of what you're seeing God do. And so uh, Grant, welcome. Yeah, good to be with you guys. Um, I've listened to the podcast several times before and I just thank for you guys continuing to normalize discipleship with the different stories y'all bring on. Yeah, man, we we'll appreciate that. And I do want to mention that we're going to put links in the description of everything so that you can go directly to what God is doing through this ministry. And uh, so, Grant, tell us a little bit about with Gen Z and I guess millennials too, to some degree, but mostly Gen Z, it sounds like, kind of like what you're seeing out there in terms of that generation and just raising up people in faith. Yeah, I mean, I think, I do think millennials and Gen Z are a lot more alike than they are to essay Xers and boomers. And so I'll probably just say next gen, but I think some of my synopsis on the next generation, I may not quote this perfectly, but I've tried to start to categorize, hey, what are some things that are concerning, maybe even a little different and what this next generation has to go through that generations in the past maybe did it, or it's just an uptick that we need to take notice of. And I would say that one of the things is that I think the next generation has been coddled by their parents. And so that comes with their upbringing. I think we can sometimes, there's maybe from heart and hard parenting, especially that I feel like the boomers went through or even did kind of like the, hey, rub some dirt on it, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, like get over it. Even, I don't, I don't feel like I see a lot of millennials talking about like, hey, we had to walk to school or showing like, uphill or if anything, it's, it's, it, I do agree. It's getting more and more convenient for the next generation. And so it's almost like the culture is even coddling the next generation. And maybe coddling is a strong word for making things, uh, quick to get easier to get more options from every level. Like from, if you want to watch a show, you have access to it all right now. You want to buy a car. You don't even have to go through a car salesman anymore. It's online right now. If you want to listen to a song, you don't have to go to the store anymore and buy the CD for the one song you like or catch it on the radio to record it. Even millennials had to do these things. And 
And now you can just have every song you want as long as you pay you $9 a, a month. And you just get, yeah, I mean, even dating has been impacted in many ways. You don't like that girl? Well, maybe this next girl. Not her either. Then swipe to the next girl, the next girl. And that there's six, seven, eight, ten different options of apps. If you don't like the girls on this app, check out the girls on this app. These girls, it's it's kind of such a unique time. But I would say that even in the faith, we're not too far from coddling the next generation sometimes where we, I often tell parents, we've got to stop saving our kids from the savior. And we often jump in in their difficult times. And I'm not saying when they're going they're in near-death experiences. That's that's where we do want to jump in. Or when they're going to go into a huge crisis, we do want to jump in. But sometimes we just save them anytime and every time we can. When it's in the past, it's like, this is just a part of growing up. This is a part of maturing. And consequences actually can be helpful to rob people of consequences, especially minor consequences um, or risk even is, is actually, I think, harmful in some ways. But, we, the verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. We fear no evil because we, because we feel that we know that God is with me. And I jokingly sometimes say, I think the next generation could read it as, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because mom is with me. She, she comforts self-insurances, her money, and I can always move back home basically. Like it's always saving them. And if you're always getting saved, you don't need to rely on God. If you're always getting saved, you're not going to go through what each of us know. If we think about some of our closest, dearest, I would say nearest seasons with God, they often are the best highest moments, though they are often that too. They are often, especially we start with low moments where we almost realize the reality of, man, I need God. Like, man, I. I remember I'm going to his word because it's all I have right now. I'm, I'm praying to him because it's all I can do right now. I'm, I'm believing like I've never believed before. I'm, I also sense him near right now. Those are usually, that could be weeks. Those just come sometimes could be months and sometimes could be years. Those seasons are not, I would always say seasons we want to return to. If you could wish, Hey, could I be in that season again right now? We say, no, no, God, I don't want to be in that season again. But if God was like, well, do you want me to erase that season from your story? We'd be like, absolutely not. We, those are the sanctifying seasons where they grow our faith, our boldness, mature us, uh, make us more dependent, give us way more humility. And anyway, just to start with the coddling pieces, I think we do them an injustice if we coddle them because they don't rely on God. They rely on us and mm. just, we can be enabling them. And so what then happens is if I think the next generation is being coddled by their parents, I think they're now being criticized by their bosses because they're unequipped uh, to go into the workforce. Their work ethic is not what it once was from generations past. Their their goals, their drive, their uh, how they think they should be treated, what they think they should get, and how fast they think they should get that. It can be infuriating for those who employ the next generation. And so if we can't coddle, if we coddle them in the, in the first half, they're going to be criticized in the second half. Like mm. if they're, I would just add on this, coddled by the parents, criticized by their bosses. I would say they're being confused by our culture. What once was, and there's so many things that were just in the last seven years that once were like, I, there's a John Wesley quote, I believe, where he says, what one generation tolerates, the next generation celebrates. And we're seeing things that just 
so many things that are changing in this generation. Of course, there's technology in their culture that's rapidly advancing, but so are values. So many values have changed. And um, I would say that leads to my fourth thing of where they're confused by our culture. I would say they're also canceled uh, by their convictions. There are values that the uh, historic church has had for thousands of years that now are cancelable just to align with what we've always aligned with. Now this generation has to navigate, man, I, I love Jesus, but I don't know if I want to be a bigot or I don't, I love Jesus. I don't know if I want to be called hateful or all these words that now you sometimes can be automatically associated with just because God saved you and, and changed your heart. It's, it's a perfect play with the enemy to like, literally uh, hurl these labels to a relationship with God, but they can be canceled by their convictions. And lastly, this is more of the world we're growing up in and consent seem like we're continuing to go into is, I would say they're crippled by debt. So confused by our culture, canceled by their convictions, and many in the next generation, especially post-college, have been crippled by debt. And so that can lead to a lot of anxiety, a lot of, even I would say depression, a lot of, man, when you're a generation, but one good thing we can say about them is so marked by passion and this desire to change the world, to do good, to, to be a part of something bigger than themselves. However, when you don't have the means to, the plan towards the mentor disciples in your life to help and open doors for you, it can lead to a lot of anxiety. It's like, it's a powder keg that has no outlet. And I think that, that we're seeing a lot of imploding, a lot of burnout at earlier ages because the young leaders, they lack the wisdom, but they have the passion. And so that's why I love what you guys do is how do we connect those who have all this passion and, and time even to go and change the world and do something bigger than themselves. But then align that to a, a, a eternal purpose that's bigger than just a cause that might uh, be cool and trendy right now, but won't matter 10 years from now, but something that matters for eternity and, and also connected to the wisdom so that they are just, I think, the blind leading the blind. I, I like I like saying like disruptive division, uh, sorry, disrupting division through discipleship. So like these, this division between generations really hurts us because you have older people who always are saying things like, man, if I could go back to your age, Grant, I would just do it so differently. If I could go back to when I was 20, I almost wish I could, I would prioritize this. I would do this. I would do that. I would have stopped. I would cut this off. I would have, they have so much wisdom of what they would have done if they could go back. And then you have young people who are like, the scariest question I think you could ask a, a high school senior and especially a college that a college student who's about to graduate. The scariest question is, hey, what do you think you're going to do after you graduate? That's so scary for them because often colleges, I think, are, are, can guarantee like debt more than an actual job after college. Like even this is another broken chink of the system of like that colleges don't set you apart like they used to. If you get a bachelor's degree today compared to 20 or 30 years ago. And so a lot of the, the culture that this generation is going through and navigating isn't exactly like it was even 10 years ago, let alone 20 or 30. And I just think this generation that's older, that's got like, Hey, if I could go back to your age, this is what I do. Well, how amazing is it when they can connect to a younger generation who's like, man, I don't know what to do. I know I want to do something meaningful, but I'm scared of that question. Mm -hmm. uh, again, this enemy's perfect plan to divide, uh, the wisdom from the passion and, and those with time. Wow. I'm glad you said all that. And that was really, that's really amazing. There's like a hundred things I want to say, like. When you're saying all that, so, but let me boil it down to what do, what do younger people wish older people knew? Or like, let's start with that. Like, 
are there things that, because there's things older people know that they wish younger people knew, but like, what are the things that the young people would like the older people to know? Is it things like, I may seem unapproachable, but please approach me. Like things yeah. like. Yeah, that's a good question, man. My wife said this like two days ago, and I thought it was so spot on, is she said that she believes that the enemy's whispering in the ear of both generations, a lie that's so similar. And it's to the older person, the lie is the younger people don't want to learn anything from you or you have nothing to offer uh, or that you have, your life is not glorious enough for them to want to follow you. Um, so, and or you're not qualified to disciple the next generation. And so it's like this inadequacy. And then same thing to younger people is there's an intimidation of them towards the older generation of like, there's no one that wants to pour into you or your life isn't like you thought it would be that you have anything worth investing in. And you don't even know how, you don't have any people older in your life, even that if you wanted to, but it's a, it's a lot of like, you can't do this. And I, I would think, I think the, the truth is there is a lot of young people, not all, but there are a lot of young people that would love to be in relationship with older people who, who could help them get further faster and not just in, in their mission, but also in their maturity, I would say. And the, I think even Gen Z does even a better job than millennials in this, that it seems like they're cool with hanging out with older people and want to be around older people. Like, and, and there just continues to be an uptick, not just in the church, but even outside of the church among young people that will, would desire mentorship. I do think part of that is because of the systematic breakdown of the value of college, in my opinion. Hmm. Like in my, again, if I'm kind of saying old people things myself now, I was like, if I could go back, oh, I think whenever you say back when I was growing up or, and if I was your age, I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting older. <laughs> so if I was to say to an 18 year old, man, I tell a lot of 18 year olds, it's like, go to college. Sure. Especially if you're doing a job that requires college, architect, lawyer, doctor, but I was like, some of these things, especially if they're involving technology, which is rapidly changing so fast or creativity, some of these things, they're fast paced and they change like fashion changes quickly, tech changes quickly. It just advances. Like I used to do photography back in college. It's only like within five years, the, the brands that people use, the styles they use, the type of cameras they use, it's so different. And so to learn from someone who once was doing it but hasn't done it for 10 years, what there's some principles they can definitely teach, but there's some things that they're, they're out of touch with it. And so I often say to young leaders, make sure while you're going to college that you are finding someone who is currently and frequently in that field right now. And I would all, I'd go so far to say, I would say you're going to get more value. The more time you actually follow that person and the work they do, like, let's say I was shooting a camera. This is how I learned how to do videography and photography is, can I just second shoot for you? Can I, I'll do, I know you're doing weddings. I know you're doing events. I know you're doing conferences. I don't even charge. Of course, I'm, I'm so new, but I do have a camera and I, I'll be able to get some shots that you won't be able to get. Cause you got one more person. You tell me where to be. You want me backstage? I'll do the backstage stuff. So, you know, you'll get at least some. And you I would say back in the early days, even if I sent shoot a hundred photos and like five of those got to be good. Those five or five you would not have had. And, and, yeah. and yeah. I started getting better and they were like, okay, well, if you're going to shoot for me, let's, let's spend three hours together. I'm going to at least show you how to up your game and, and doing this. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of careers you could potentially follow. And what I, I think in following the strategic way I tell young people is find a way to help them do what they're doing. Not just saying, will you 
pour into me or can I follow you? Be a, even a fly on the wall, be like, I'll, I'll carry your bags. I'll be your driver. I'll, I'll uh, do whatever it is. Like, I'll make sure you don't forget something like I'll do take, I'll alleviate some of the work. So I don't just learn from you. I'm like making life easier for you. And eventually I'm going to get better to where I'm contributing to what you, you do and I add value. Yeah, that's really good. So that, I mean, we see that in the workplace. So like, we see that like, like Alex Harmozy, he's like, you know, a big marketer and he's all about, you know, offer your stuff for free at first and then like kind of learn some of the stuff. And, you know, he talks about how like Warren Buffett offered that to Charlie Munger back in the day and, you know, all this stuff like that. It's in the, it's in the ethos of the marketplace that yeah. I'm thinking, but it's not necessarily in the ethos of the church. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think kind of like you're describing the, the world, like, you know, the world from this perspective of, of make things easy, make things quick. I mean, that, that's literally how marketers sell product is I'm going to give you your dream outcome and I'm going to give it to you as fast as possible with as little effort as possible. And then we, we take that from the secular side and we map that over into the, the church side and that's a tractional church in a sense too, right? Like yeah. you say, like, what kind of messaging do we have to have? That's not every, that doesn't mean you're a big church, you're guilty, but we kind of have some of that same mentality, you know, on the Christian side, like mm-hmm. make the message easy, don't have much resistance, like all that sort of stuff. And I, I kind of heard you saying that a little bit earlier, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I think I'm trying to remove when it comes to like making it a little easier. Is I'm, I feel like there's usually about four excuses I hear for why people don't want to do what they would consider the hard work of discipleship. And, and I do think discipleship is hard, just like parenting, I think is hard. I often get asked, hey, how do we reach the next generation? And I think they're looking for the silver bullet. And I'd like to sometimes say, well, yeah, just give me the silver bullet on being a great parent, and making amazing kids. Like, I don't know if there is one, like it's just one of those things that is so worth it, but there is no shortcut to doing it. And so, but I don't want unnecessary or untrue barriers to be there that the, our mind goes to. Mm-hmm. I think the four greatest excuses or why people don't disciple tend to be in, as I asked, is one, I don't have time. Like they truly are too busy. They don't have a lot of more margin. If anything, they're trying to cut things out of their calendar, not add things to their calendar. And that's why I think discipleship and mentorship, I actually try to differentiate between this. I, I'm not saying this is the way, but it has helped me to kind of differentiate those two. And I kind of consider mentorship if, if Jesus said, come and meet with me instead of come and follow me. And many of us think of discipleship as as meeting with someone regularly, pouring into them. And I, I had that and I've received that. And that there are people that did that for me who absolutely changed my life. Like, and they changed the way I saw God. They changed the way I saw myself. In this season, as I'm newly, I've been married now for three years, they've changed the way I've, I've approached my wife in marriage and, and about my core values in marriage and my priorities. So those things can really change you. However, I don't know if Jesus meeting with the disciples once a week would have prepared them to do what they did in Acts. And so... I would say the difference is come and meet with me to come and follow me is, is I often say mentorship is adding something to your calendar. Discipleship is including someone in your calendar. It doesn't require more time. In fact, if you're busy, that means you have a lot you can include them in. Um, so that gets out of that excuse, which is a warranted one. If you, if you think you have to meet with someone regularly, it can be very hard. Um, but if you see it as, okay, I need a hungry young person who's willing to kind of join my life. They have time. I don't as much. And young singles, especially that I always tell young singles this is the most time you'll ever have in your life. You don't 
have to ask your parents for permission. You don't have to ask your wife for permission. You can just go. Like you can just buy things you want to buy. Go where you want to go. Like even now, as a leader who travels and speaks and writes books, like I still can't tonight if my friend says, Hey, do you want to go to this thing? Like I'll be like, I think so. I think I think Sean would be quiet. Like (laughs) I'm world than when I was young. I, especially if you have kids, so Matt, I would assume you do, and I, I don't, but I, I, even more reasons why it's a little harder to have, have time. And so that's why I always say with the, I don't have time. There's also, I don't feel qualified. Um, I, I like to quickly say to that is, I think we ask ourselves if we're qualified. And I think instead we should ask, are we spiritually a couple steps ahead? Uh, mm. Ask, am I qualified? Which I don't think that's ever been the question. I feel like I was asking us, but. I think the question is simply, we're going to say no a lot if we ask ourselves that. Am I qualified to do this? If anything, God tends to call us to do things we feel usually unqualified for. We think of Gideon, it's almost like he wants us to feel unqualified, Mm -hmm. um, get the glory. So I don't think that's the right question, but I think asking people, are you, do you feel like you're spiritually a couple steps ahead of this next generation? Most of them would say, absolutely. And so that's, that's what you have to offer is those couple steps ahead. If you could get them to where you are spiritually, but without the pain it took you to get there or the time it took you there, maybe even the hurt and the, the, the running into a wall, but there's some of us over and over and over again, that it could be amazing. Cause I, I think without that discipleship, we keep seeing a generation have to navigate a world that's somewhat already been navigated by a generation before, but without the wisdom of the generation before. And so if you're spiritually a couple steps ahead, that's amazing. And if you don't feel qualified, Saul never said, follow me and that's it. He said, follow me or imitate me as I follow Christ or anything yeah. as I imitate Christ. So the, the pressure is not on us to be qualified. It's on, it's on Jesus as we are. I sometimes even tell my disciples, Hey, I'm going to follow me as I stumble towards Christ. Like I'm not even going to be perfect in doing this. And uh, I think they appreciate the realness of that. And then third, I would say. A lot of, a lot of times I hear the excuses. I don't, I was never discipled and that's a, such a big issue. There are, there are a lot of people who I think want to disciple, but never were discipled. I was very fortunate to get discipled two weeks after I got saved. It was a man who entered into my life and kind of threw down the gauntlet. Like if you take your faith seriously, I want to pour into you. But my one catch is you have to go try to reach your high school for Christ in the next two years. Like anyone, one you can, because he really wanted to reach my school. And when he saw that I got saved and I went to that school. And I, I was decently popular at the, at the school, but had just come to faith. Um, he just kind of said, Hey, I want to, I want to reach your school. And I, I'd, I'd be totally down to born to you, but you got to be a missionary to your school. And not, I think you could save a lot of kids' lives in your school. If you're serious about this, if you're not, then let's not do it. And that was such a game changer to have a vertical relationship with God. Then uh, with an addition to a vertical mentor who was basically saying, follow me as I follow Christ, who immediately gave me a, a horizontal mission to accompany that discipleship. So it wasn't just this season of, oh, I'm learning so much. This is amazing. And it's terminating on me. It was immediately, I'm learning this for me, but also for them. And you just, you listen better. You t- ask better questions. You feel the weight of what you're learning more. And so, um, all that to say, most people didn't, weren't, weren't disciple when they're at all. And I, I would quickly say to that is I think. We have to have the same mentality we have towards if we didn't have Christian parents, many, especially men I know who who feel this, maybe a little bit of leadership or intentionality they need to bring to their family. If they didn't have a Christian dad, 
and they are a believer. They feel this way to, I want to shift the trajectory for my family. Uh, what I wasn't given, I could point my finger and say to my kids and my wife, well, they never got, I never got that. And so I, I can't give you what I never received. Again, there's, there's some more to that. I, and there's even some hurt to that. There's sadness even to that mm-hmm. reality. But I have seen this ability of, I'm changing that for the future of my family and for my legacy so that when my kids grow up, I'm not going to be perfect. Uh, it's not going to be a full 180 maybe, but I'm going to set them up better than I was set up. And they then can do the, the same for their, so it's a, it's a trajectory shift. And then lastly, is I just think a lot of young, a lot of people just would say, not that they don't have time or that they don't feel qualified or, or that uh, they never were discipled. Some, often this could just be simple as, I just don't know how to do it. Like, I know I should do it. I just don't know how to do it. And so that's again, why I appreciate what you guys do to continue to get more stories and direction on what could discipleship look like in your life. So it sounds like God has positioned all those pieces, like all the necessary pieces are available. You know, you have older people who have experience, you have Jesus model of disciple making, you've got the Bible. Like, so when you get to like, how do you do it? He told us how to do it. Like, I need someone a few steps ahead. He gave you that too. Yeah. Like all these things, at least in a church context, all the pieces are there, but then it's like, how do we actually put all those pieces together? It's like, do we, do we say on Sunday, you know, like something like, Hey, you know, maybe some of you young people don't think the older people want to pay much attention to you. How many of the older people like to pay attention? You know, all the older people hands goes up and they go, Oh, they really do care. And then, and then all you older people think that the younger people don't want anything to do with you. How many younger people would like maybe an older person to like pour into you? And it's like all the young, you know, like a lot of young hands go up and, oh, hey, I mean, like, how do you, how do you position, is there a way to position all the available resources to connect those dots? Yeah, I've been, I've been encouraging churches lately. I've seen a couple do it is to get, to start by getting the people who already have leanings towards each other together and in a meaningful way, ideally. So when I say that, I, I actually use the movie, Remember the Titans, a little bit as a, as a roadmap. A bit. Um, yeah. I do think it's good to look at what are models that have worked. We, we always focus on what's wrong. I want to look at what's worked. And, and there's not perfect, it's not a perfect analogy, but it has some principles that are similar in that in the Remember the Titans, or many, if you really think about it, movies about racial reconciliation, because right here, we're kind of talking about generational reconciliation. Um, and most race movies and racial reconciliation movies, they tend to be sports movies. They're not all sports movies, but a lot of them. Are. Like uh, there's a unique uptick of the movie uh, in that genre from the 42 about Jackie Robinson, race about Jesse Owens, Glory Road about the first college basketball team to to start five black players, to man, the blind side. Then, then of course, I think Bermuda Titans is the best of, of them all. I mean, I think it's just one of the best movies in general. And in that movie, the, the both parties, the black people and white people, even the black parents and the, the white parents, unlike some of these other movies where they, they don't address the elephant in the room, though there is clearly an elephant in the room, eventually they, they have to address that, uh, that in this movie, they start with the elephant in the room. It's like, I am not playing for a black coach that you guys took the white coach's job. And then not only that, the parents are like, Hey, you will play or you will honor. No, the parents like, I'm not, my kid will not play. We'll leave. We'll go to a different school. It's, they go straight to the elephant is so in the room, they're rioting. And so it's helpful because at least they're all being honest at how they feel. And there is that tension 
I think, thankfully, there's not usually any church I've been to, though I'm sure there are out there that has that level of tension between generations. But there are elephants and landmines in the room, if you will, among generations. There are differences. And one of the brilliant moves that the coach does is that Denzel Washington's character, I think it's Coach Boone's name, is takes them on a retreat. He's like, here's, I'm getting you out of this space. This place is toxic right now. Let's get away for a little bit. Um, and then he, of course, pairs up the white players and the black players. And he creates a things where they have to have a fun together and then they have to work together. And one of the unique things, though, that I, I would kind of translate this into a generation in churches is I like to go into churches and ask them, the older leaders who are, uh, sorry, start with the younger leaders. I'll start with some of the young people and these are staff as well as just congregation, uh, young people that have been there. And I like to ask them, who are some of the older people here who are enthusiastic or excited about the next generation? Or they just love y'all, love on you guys well. Like, and it's always so cool to hear a group of five to 10 to 20 young people say like, oh, Sally or Margie. Or they, there's always different names because of the generations. And they're like, yeah, she's amazing. She always like, I've seen it where like she brings cookies every Sunday or she always like encourages us or you could just tell she just loves being around us. Like she almost gets more energized by being around us than her own generation. And they sometimes are staff people. And it, I think even better when they're not, they're like, there's an intentionality and leaning something there is magnetic about that person towards the next gen. And they're I mean, totally have to do that. They are naturally doing that. So I want to take note of who those five, 10, 20 older people are. And then I like to ask the older people too, who are some of the young people here who have really stuck around, who have, and they could have gone to the church where all the other young people gone to, will go to instead, or they have a lot of honor, or you just, you're, you're impressed by their hunger or their humility, or just, they got a little bit of character, or at least they stuck around. Cause sometimes it is, it is still a sacrifice to stay for a long period of time. It's like, they're still at the heart of that. I want to be here. But, and I'm not leaving to go where all the other young people are going or just leaving the church in general, which is where more even of the young people are going, but getting some of those young people to be around some of those older people. Cause those would be my select group to start with. Mm -hmm. You could try to change the whole culture all at mm -hmm. once, but it is, I think it's better to create a little bit of a movement within. And so then instead of saying, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. It's like, we've been doing this. You maybe even heard murmurs or seen some of this. Do you want to join what's already happening? There's just a difference in how that's received. But even then bigger than that, after you get them together, which I, I personally like retreats, I'm a retreat guy. It's, there's something about when you have to spend a night somewhere, even maybe two nights somewhere, you just kind of check out a little bit more. If you're a busy, successful person, you're, you're telling your team or your assistant, Hey, I'm out, I'm out the next couple of days. It's not just a meeting or a dinner, even where you're like checking your watch or I got to get back home with my kids, the babysitter. Or, or if it's a meeting during the day, it's like, I got, I got to jump on a zoom call quickly. Or I got a phone call and I'm gonna jump with the car and get on. It's it kind of like, I'm, I'm here, I'm present. They're a lot more present. There's also a lot more room to create experiences. Even the people, how much of our experiences and connections at retreats happen with outside of the conference type setting of teaching, it's, it's the buff beds and staying up so late or a campfire. It's, it's not a lot of spaces for that to happen in church. If. If it's just Sunday morning, it's, it's, it's honestly, it is seeing the back of someone's head most of the time. It's, there's a little bit of time and sometimes they give the 30 seconds to say hello to your neighbor, but I don't think major relationships are being formed there. Mm -hmm. um, but we need to give room for strategic people like these people, I would say, to have a meaningful time together. And then the third piece would be, I want to identify, I would encourage to identify who are somewhat of the ringleaders among the older generation, like one or two. 
and who are the ringleaders among the younger generation? Like if these older generation leaders were to say to the rest of their generation in the church, hey, we need to, we need to do this. We need to, we need to stop just criticizing the next generation. We can't just create gossip all the time. Or I always say no group of people wants to be a part of a group of people that makes fun of their group of people. And, and think about that racially. I think about that denominationally. You could think about that any group of any yes. way. Like, but often the church, I think, is just as bad as the world in just joking about the next generation or criticizing the next generation. But even joking, again, we've all been in a friend group that just loves to joke about us and make fun of us. You don't last long in that friend group. You don't usually want to say, you definitely don't get excited to be around that group. You're like, okay, yeah, I put on the thicker skin because this is the kind of community or culture that has a culture of just, just not, again, not trying to crush them, but they just like to poke at us a lot. Why would we want that kind of culture if we want to reach the next generation? And so again, but if a young person says that to older people, it's kind of like griping or, hey, come on, are you, you're thin skinned or you're like, we, your generation can't handle this. However, if older generation says it to his own generation, then it's kind of like, it's calling them higher. It's not received as griping or complaining. It's kind of like, hey, we got to live into this. And how this happens in Remember the Titans is when the white player, Bertier, calls out the other white player for not blocking for the black players. He's like, hey, we are not going to win a game if you don't start blocking for the black players. And that is the linchpin shift, in my opinion, in the trajectory of that, that group story and that team story is, is when they kind of call out their own people, if you will, or their own generation, if you will, there's something massive because that then has a, an effect on Julius, who's the most influential black player, to then tell his other black guys, like, we are going to do this for the white player. We are going to work with them. We are, we're going to come together. And I mean, in the movie, I mean, it's cinematic. So they legit, after this fight scene where they finally like get it together and go to bat for each other and call out each other for each other, then, because again, the white player would, in this case, but let's say be the older generation, when older people just complain or maybe could say the same exact thing that uh, the young pe person says to other young people saying like, hey, we've got to be hungry if we're going to do this well. Like, we've got to stop like being lazy. We have to keep our yes, yes. We have to keep our no, no. If we, you, you guys, of course, know we're not faithful, if we're not available, if we're not teachable, this isn't going to work. Like, we are, we are lagging in there and we've got to seek out wisdom. When they say that, it doesn't come off like griping or when I was your age or, man, you guys, it's, it's, it's received differently horizontally. And so that's when the linchpin, I think, changes. And so especially then getting those two or three or four older leaders and younger leaders who have that kind of influence Man. in the church together, it's not going to solve everything, but it's a great uh, tip of the spear to kind of start pioneering, I think, a new culture multi-generationally in the church. And then maybe you add in the retreat or add in something else and kind of start building that. Yeah. 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 Man, yeah, because a lot of a lot of retreats tend to be generationally segregated, mm -hmm. not intentionally mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. um, but sure. just the nature of oh, well, this is what that really is. As a men's retreat, kind of really is mostly the older men's retreat. You don't see a lot of the high school students, and and some churches do have that, but I haven't seen too much where because uh, because the high school students tend to do their own retreat and their own camp, and then mm -hmm. uh, even I'm a big advocate for even mission trips. There's there's something powerful of and communal about a mission trip, even though that's 0% of the goal is to create friendship through it or bond. But, uh, the goal is to go to a group of here goes over here to impact these people. But I've never seen a mission trip where these guys don't usually inevitably come back closer 
And then everyone asks, hey, how was the trip? You've been gone for five days, 10 days. And it's hard to really regurgitate the feeling, the, the experience. However, this group for years, honestly, will we'll get it. They kind of had a bond that happened there. There's people I went to Israel for nine days with who sometimes I, I don't see them, but every year or two. But when I see them, I'm like, yo, it's like their family. Like, it's so good to see you because we, we spent nine days in another culture and try to accomplish a mission together. We sometimes, we, we even see little kids, our, our children go to camp. They're so nervous. No, I don't want to go. Like, please don't send us. And then we force them to go to camp. They come back and they like love these other kids yeah. hang out with them all the time. And, and so we got to be thoughtful about these, when I say meaningful times to connect people. And I actually don't think even small groups is that though. It, it's something it's helpful. Anything is better than, than nothing. Retreats, mission trips, I would even add sports leagues if your church potentially has those. These, these things that again, you'll notice in these movies, one of the, none of these movies that around racial reconciliation are movies where it's like one time together and everything was solved. It's, it's, I don't know if you've seen the green book or even hidden figures. These are other non-sports movies that are about racial reconciliation as well. They all require a long period of time together, going the same direction, trying to accomplish the same mission and through doing journey and together, eventually there's like this linchpin point of like, we got to go to bat for each other and work together. And so I think sports, I mean, there's, there's, that's, there's a way people connect through sports and personalities that come out through sports. You don't ever see in church and yeah. they're fun. And it, it, it could be, it could be risky too. Cause some people go crazy at sports, but even that could be a funny story. And so I, I encourage these more meaningful, connective ways to uh, get them together. That's so good. Yeah. I was on a call right before this one where part of our conversation was on, um, on play and celebration. Yeah. That kind of is like that neck, like that, you know, as you're walking through, remember the Titans, like at some point, like they're playing the other guy mm -hmm. and then you win and then you celebrate like together. And yeah. then like when that elderly guy gets up on Sunday to lead that prayer or whatever, you're like, he was on my team. Like, yeah, that was great. You know, like yeah. we're in this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think play is is amazing. It's funny you use the word play. There's this this book called Play. It's by I think it's Stuart Michael Stewart, and he actually gives like the nine profiles of play that people have. And from like some people, it's competitive play. That's more me. Like I I like getting really good, and I can get competitive. And like pick, there's a revival in the church right now in America. Pickleball is what I would say. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the example we used. Yeah, that's funny. That was funny. Sleeping, <laughs> I could. I think revival in pickleball could lead to a revival in church because it's one of the most like side gen sports. I think there is. is. Like, tell me another. I'm trying to really think of what's some another sport that so many older people play and younger people play. Because I'm getting to the point where I'm not playing basketball as much, and I used to because I get hurt. It seems like golf is becoming that too. Like in 2020, golf and pickleball. Could unite generations. I'll tell you. I'll tell you another one. Okay, completely unexpected is shuffleboard. Oh yeah, I've seen that a little bit. I've seen that a little bit. Because like the young people are like, this is just so different. You know, like this is kind of weird. You got like that, like like the the bident. It's like the the trident that's got like the two pieces. You know, and it's like you, like just something like that is just so ridiculous that it's just it's just funny. Yeah. What I like about pickleball is so many older people are so much better than young people. Like there's, and, and a lot of athletic sports, there is points where 
if you're faster or stronger, like you're going to be better at this, this game. But that's one of the games where it's like, you don't need it. There's a point where it's skill and not just speed or strength. Like, and then they matter a little yeah. bit, but yeah, uh, like golf, like it's, it's the, the great equalizer when it comes to, to age. And I, I, I get beat all the time by not even this old, I'm talking about way older than me and girls, like two girl team against two, me and another friend who, we played it, but they're just so good. They're so good in the kitchen. They just crush us. And uh, I, I haven't learned how to do the kitchen good enough. They, I'm, like, I, I, my heart starts beating when I'm in the kitchen and they're like, just going boom, 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 boom. I'm like, please keep hitting it to my partner. Like it's, it's, it's a fun game to play with different generations, but yeah, this, this playbook kind of, I encourage it because yeah, learning how to play together as generations, there's just, there's a way you connect in marriage. There's a way you connect. Um, with complete strangers. I do retreats for about 200 to 300 leaders across the nation. It's a private invite. They all, they all are like high capacity speakers, authors, musicians, nonprofit leaders, actors, Olympic athletes. And I do play big time to connect all these strangers. I'm trying to unite the, the church of high, young Christian leaders. And I actually put them on teams like the West, the leaders from California, Portland, Seattle, all of them, they're going to play the the south and then there's northeast and the midwest i have fords then you got right. texas you got to give texas their own thing right yeah i could <laughs> but they they get like a bandana and a color and that's awesome people jump in very very quickly into that's like amazing. all right west we're going up against the new yorkers the boston and new yeah. jersey and philly and it's so fun to see not only them connect uh in ways they maybe wouldn't connect if i just put them in a room together and let them do socialize um, but especially the teams, like I'm trying to connect the Northeast leaders, um, across yeah, the nation, race and, and, and occupation or industry, they are having to rely on each other. And there's just so many conversations that happen afterwards because yeah. of this. And so that book, just to finish the thought is like, they, I can't remember all of them, but I remember one of them is like, kinesthete is what he says, play. These are like the people that they like to do more physical, like running or they want to like, they got to move their body and, and play and they could do it also by themselves. And then there was something like daredevil. And these are the people that like to play it. They want to do something that like, gets their heart pounding, like in that kind of play of like jumping out of a plane or bouncing biking, or it's like going way too fast or whatever. It is some type of experience, but just finding your style of play. And maybe there's other people in the church that also like that kind of play and just always having a shadow or an apprentice or people that are, are. Uh, just being intentional. If you're already going to play, uh, bring others to play with you or from other generations. That's so good. So just wrapping up here in the last minute or two, I'm just thinking about kind of what you shared. And I love that it's such a sticky idea of like taking Remember the Titans and taking some of the, the shifts and the moments that happen there and the, the ahas and like how all that connects. And then like how you just so practically took that and said, like, this is how this could look. In, in, a, in a church and like you kind of like walk through that and what i really hope is like if there's church what there are church leaders like listening to this and, and watching this like go back in this video and kind of watch what grant said and like think about your church what you just said grant and think about your church and 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 think about like who are those core people like who are the core older people and the core younger people and like like because I, I think what you laid out was so simple and so practical and so impactful and it's just so doable like that's that's just so like the, I hate to say low hanging fruit because it's, it's super impactful fruit. It's not, not like just the easy, it's, it's accessible, you know? Yeah. And, and so do you have any, any last words for us? Any practical insights? 
Yeah, I would just say, I mean, the great thing about, especially starting with that group, if you will, to just start, say, we're going we're gonna to do something to kind of pioneer a little bit of change to create more multi-generational health within our church is it's fun. Like it's a fun way to do it. And I, as we all know, good discipleship is mutually beneficial. It's mutually mm. encouraging, especially it's mutually energizing. It's so amazing to see how much young people can energize older people through discipleship too. Cause young people already have somewhat energy. They're kind of known for, they're in that season of energy and building and passion. How I say it's, it's not hard to find passionate millennials. It's, it's hard or, or next gen or Gen Z. It's hard to find uh, prayerful ones where they're, they're like the wisdom it takes and the slowness that, that usually comes. Most prayer gatherings in my experience have been older people. And so again, getting those two together, but it, it is the fun of both groups are energizing and bringing new life. I got in with a story is I used to live in Dallas and got to meet, there's a guy, Chad Hennings, who I always say he played for the Cowboys when the Cowboys actually were good and when we're winning and that he was somewhat of a mentor to me for a short season where we, we would meet here and there and he'd pour into me. And he once told me a story about when he was playing for the Cowboys, he was in his twenties and newly married and he had two kids and his kids were probably, let's say like four, or seven, or eight years old. And basically that his kids were like begging dad, dad, uh, can we please get a dog? And uh, can we want a little puppy? And they got a little baby puppy who's known for like young people with a lot of passion, a lot of zeal, a lot of energy, but needs the wisdom of, okay, where do you go to the bathroom? Not here. Like, where do you eat? This is where your food is. Like eat it in the bowl. Don't spill it everywhere. Like, Hey, it jumps, you know, when you're young puppies, they just bark. Anytime someone knocks on the door, rings the doorbell It's like their, their EQ isn't the best, if you will. And a long story, somewhat short is this dog got a lot older. Maybe I think he said it was about 10 to 12 years old as a dog which of course is like really old for a dog. And he said that the kids now, teenagers, still wanted to play with the puppy or the dog now, but the dog was so much older. I think his name was Bo. And the kids were like, man, dad, like, can we get another puppy? Like Bo is so boring now. He doesn't want to play. He just lays down. He just sits. He's, he's kind of like, they said that the dog used to, Bo used to jump on people when it came to the door. And now someone would knock on the door, even walk to the door. Bo would be in this little bed. And just look up and kind of be like, what's up? And then just go back to bed. Like you just didn't care anymore. And they got Bo checked on and the vet was like, man, yeah, he's not doing too well. He's probably going to die this year. He's probably, he's not making it much more than maybe a year, a year and a half, if not the next couple months. And so they did get another puppy and it was so interesting as they said, this little puppy, again, repeat the process, has all the zeal, energy and all this. And that the little puppy wanted to play with Bo all the time because that's the dog that's in the house. And all of a sudden they said Bo with his new puppy started going outside again, playing again, like showing him where to eat, where to go to the bathroom. Like he's kind of guiding him. But also this little puppy was getting Bo to do all these things that had not been doing for a long, long time. And that Bo lived a many years late more because what Chad said is because this little puppy would not let that dog die. And... He kind of quoted the, the common saying, we know that you can't, what is it? You can, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. He said, you may not be able to teach an old dog new tricks, but you can give an old dog a new puppy. And, and I, I said, and that kind of gives them a new purpose when they do good. a new puppy. And so it's, it's very mutually beneficial. I believe it's okay. mutually energizing. It gives a lot of mutual hope um, in the future of the church. 
And so that's what I, I love about when it happens is you bring these generations that have leanings towards each other and they start kind of modeling how actually fun multi-generational stuff can be because the, the world has won a lot and we've kind of contributed to this fear of the future. Oh my gosh, it's where the, everyone's leaving the church and the next generation is so bad. And I always say there, there's a lot of fear, um, even in the church of the future. It's an election year. It's going to be so hard. And, and that kind of turns off, I think the next gen a lot. I think we want to see not this like Murphy's law mentality of faith of like anything that can go wrong is just going to go wrong. But the Bible is more like in Psalms, we see it's, it's surely goodness and mercy. It's assumptive the other way. It's not assumptive that it's going to go bad. It's assumptive that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all mm. or as surely as the sun will rise. He will come for us and show me older people that freak out. And I mean, that's not, I get it. It's, it is unique times. We talked about that in the beginning, but show me older people come around next gen are like, man, the best is yet to come. Revival is going to come in your generation. And I'll show you older people that young people love to be around. And it's just going to be, I think the new narrative needs to be a little bit more of that within, within the faith and the church. You reminded me a little bit of Walter Brueggemann, like the message of the Psalms and like Psalms of orientation, everything's well, there's some of those, nothing's going wrong. And then there's disorientation, like I'm in the pit and then there's new orientation. I was in the pit and then I cried out for help. And now God is like, you know, yeah. brought new things. And, and a, a lot of times it feels like we're just in those disoriented, we kind of live in that disoriented mode. And, and maybe that's easier to do the older you get, you know, I'm getting a little bit older, but maybe some people older than myself would, would answer that question for us in the comments. But, you know, it feels like it's really easy, like Bo, the dog, to kind of get in that, that zone, you know, lay around and kind of yeah. wait and see what's going to happen. And I'm not saying all older yeah. people do that either, but yeah, I love that analogy or that story. That illustration is really powerful because it's also easy to say, well, the older people have all this value to offer the younger people. And it's like, well, what are, what, what value goes the other way? And I think you just illustrated that so, so profoundly in that story. So I appreciate you kind of wrapping us up on a note of hope and a note of joy and, and uh, new birth and new things and, and good things to look forward to. Uh, I just really do appreciate your heart and where you're coming from. And, you know, if people want to learn more about what you're doing. We're going to put those links to think and the next gen summit in the description. And I just highly recommend that you all go click those links and check out what's going on there and, and just get the resources that, uh, that you need. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. We have got a brand new ebook on the state of disciple making churches. Check the link in the show notes. And also, please join us in Indianapolis, May 1st and 2nd, for our National Disciple Making Forum. It's going to be a fantastic time. You can head over to discipleship.org and buy those tickets today. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Dan Lights from the Bonhoeffer Project, and he's talking to us about the gospel. So if you haven't clicked that subscribe button yet, I highly encourage you to do so, so that you know when I release the next episode. All right, everybody, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.